In the not too distant future 2016 AD There was a weirdo guy named Jack Not too different from you or me He sat around his armbar store Just acting nerdy and being poor He did it all with a cheerful face So they gave him a show and they shipped him to LA I'll watch all the wrestling The best I can find Then I'll interview my guests And try to pick their minds Now no one knows what era Jack will talk about today But he'll probably talk about the guys That helped to pave the way Legends Roll Call Ric Flair Roddy Piper Randy Savage Dusty Rhodes You might not agree on favorites Or other so-called facts Remind yourself it's all for fun So pipe down and sit back For Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium It's the most wonderful time of the year Hello everyone, this is Captain Jack Heartless for Captain Jack's Armbar Emporium, and it's July. You know what that means. We are back with our yearly tradition now, year three of covering the G1 Climax. I'm so excited. Holy crap, have you seen this field? We talked about it a couple of weeks ago on our last episode, but the time for the nut cutting has come, baby, and we in our customary fashion, are talking about the first leg of the tournament, nights one through six tonight. The good, the bad, well, the mostly good, i got to be honest, um, especially if, as opposed to some of the uh, fucking shenanigans of last year. But uh, before we get much further into it, since we have a lot to cover, uh, let me go ahead and introduce my guest, uh, returning i've lost count of how many times he's been on the show but he's probably neck and neck for most appearances at this point uh coming to visit us and lending his talents from a strong style story chris damasino hello everybody it's good to be back once again and for the most wonderful summery time of the year that makes me forget how hot it gets outside literally okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie let's let's touch on that very quickly it got over 100 degrees here in Los Angeles for the first time all year today, and I was uncomfortable. It that was, was uh, yeah, that was us last Thursday, and yeah, that was not a fun time by any means. You know, we, so, we dodged that bullet all the way up until a, about a week to go in July. Yeah, I'd say not not too bad in that case, especially for Los Angeles. Yeah, especially yeah. for Los Angeles. But woo, brother, it was real bad, real bad indeed. So let's jump right into it. Of course, the one of the big marquees of this year is the start of the tournament. Night one was in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they they did draw a respectable crowd. The problem is the crowd did not match the building size, unfortunately, which was a bit of a bummer. But yeah. they, they drew nearly 5K. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the connects were basically with it being Mark Cuban's building and that Access TV relationship. It was kind of easy to slot into where I don't feel the rental 
for the building was anywhere near as bad as it probably would have been if they, say, tried to run something in L.A. or New York or Chicago, whichever major town they could have gone to in that case. Uh, For what it's worth, the biggest uh, drawback, I would say, if you were watching it from a TV standpoint, had to be just the way that the Access TV crew shot it. Not the most flattering angles, but that entire crowd was so hot from start to finish to where I'll take a crowd that falls under that 5K ratio that that may not fill the entire building out, but is making a consistent amount of noise throughout rather than, you know, your 15,000 plus just sitting on their hands like a regular show on Monday nights that we're not going to talk about here. Yeah, you beat me to it. Um, And they didn't need to, uh, they they didn't need to trot out... uh old racist to uh draw that crowd either let's let's not forget about that but uh moving on uh the first match of the g1 in and of itself was holy crap i believe the terminology the kids use is this match fucks yes uh mm-hmm. and that would be the returning lance archer defeating Will Ospreay in a little over 18 minutes, and holy shit. Um, If you thought their New Japan Cup match was good, oh, brother. Uh, I love the new and improved Lance Archer. I love everything about him. I love that he covered up that awful handlebars tattoo on his lower back and turned it into a graveyard. I love that he has a long red mohawk that goes down almost to the bottom of his back. I love that he's like... You know, that uh, Minoru has taught him how to club young boys on his way to the ring. I love Everybody Dies. I love the the bringing back of the claw. I'm just all in on the new and improved single star Lance Archer. Yeah, it's a very big step for him to take, especially now that we know that Davey Boy Smith is not with uh, Junior is not with the company anymore. And he's focusing his uh stuff elsewhere and best of luck to him in that regard he's a talented wrestler in his own right uh but lance had a big opportunity to prove himself and i think the new japan cup was a very good first step to prove that he could handle the bulk as a singles guy again and then getting uh kind of the thank you nod for promoting heavy on this uh g1 and dallas show to help draw as much of a crowd as they did do on the time that they had uh you can kind of discuss a lot of the business in America may have not may not be the same for New Japan anymore compared to what it would have been last year with the elite guys being on board. I think that's one of the drawbacks with them leaving to go form AEW, but that can be a different discussion under its own episode, I would feel. Uh, but to get to Lance Archer, just he came out swinging just like he did during the New Japan Cup with Osprey, and just what an absolute banger from start to finish. They Got the action running off fast to kind of uh, follow up on what the the tags did do prior to it. Uh, A lot of crazy things. Uh, Will kind of nearly killing himself with uh, uh, being a little bit short on that Sasuke special before getting caught by Lance Archer and, you know, driven through a table with a chokeslam that just looked like he died. literally. slam dunk, baby. (laughs) It was incredible. I love this so much. I love this even like multiples of the New Japan Cup match. This, um, I've heard it said in multiple places that to date this might be Lance Archer's best singles match. Uh, I think it's got some stiff competition from a match a couple of nights later, in my opinion. But I will say, 
we're we're gonna add a new wrinkle this year for those of you who are you, both of um, those of you who are just tuning into our G1 coverage for the first time, and those are who, who are returning. Thank you all the same. Uh, but we will go ahead and give you a watch it or skip it rating on each of these as we kind of blow through. This is a definite watch it for me. Yeah, same. So we move on to, unfortunately, a bit of a skip it, and that would be uh, the Rogue General Bad Luck Fale with this Fidel Castro uh, cosplay thing going on versus uh, King of Darkness Evil, who obviously, hands down, best cosplayer in New Japan Pro Wrestling, I'd say. The Americans, American Customs didn't let him bring his siphon for that. I'm pissed. Yeah, I'm just gonna throw thank that you. Right, thank you right here that. and now. Um, but again, just all together, this one is a skip it on the basis that just Fale is limited to so much of what he can do. And just while the crowd was still hot trying to kind of get evil back into it, and there were some nice warm sequences here and there, just all together, didn't really mash all that well. I was almost wishing at that point that we were getting back to the f- full, like, five-minute DQ matches with Folly just to kind of get things done and wrapped up with. But about oh, no, like Fall at about 11 and a half got it done for Folly in his first points of the tournament. I'll which, say this. Yeah. I'll say this for him. Bad Luck Fall is still a protected finisher. Yeah, we'll, definitely. We'll see him actually bust it out. And mm-hmm. I will never want to go back to the Bullet Club bullshit of last year's G1. Because, yeah, that was a one. In, that was a one and done for sure. I hopefully, ideally, it's a one and done because yeah, the reactions last year were not very good to it, and we talked about it during last year's episodes, in fact. So oh, we were so disgusted by the end. Go back and listen to that in the archives if you, if you want. But we were just Heated. over anything to do with Tamatanga and Bad Luck Fale by the end of last year's G1. Like we were just fuck all of that. And then, of mm-hmm. course, I meet Fale months later, and he ends up being a really nice guy. So, go figure. Uh, the next one. Holy crap. I love when these two face off. Uh, this was just this beautiful, different match than anything else we saw on the card up to this point. Probably the most different match of the evening. And it was the cat and mouse game that was Sonata beating Zack Saber Jr. in twenty one and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think from a sequence standpoint, they maybe could have cut about a minute or so of it, kind of brought it within a twenty minute range. But I did like certain things that they did. I know feedback, depending on what you look for in your wrestling, was different for some people. Some people loved the cat and mouse of the various sequences some people thought it was just a lot of kind of rolling and bullshitting around rather than getting to it so mixed bag uh, from what i could feel even during live twitter as it was happening uh but for me thought it was all right uh, definitely enjoyed sonata getting the better of zach at certain points the paradise lock using the ropes was quite brilliant in its own right uh getting done getting done there and the eventual uh o'connor bridge uh that sonata got on zach and zach's reaction to the aftermath once he realized realized he lost well just 
really, really good stuff. And we'll get to Zach more as we go through more of these matches because, boy, it's been an adventure for him so far in this G1. Yeah, picking a picking a favorite Zach match so far is like picking, picking a favorite child. Uh, let's just go from there. But, uh, you know, for obvious reasons for me, this is a watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say definitely still watch it. I enjoyed it as well. So the next one, very highly anticipated. I know we talked about this. I know I've talked. To, I talked to a lot of people about this in the lead up to July sixth, mm-hmm. and that was uh, Kota Ibushi going one on one with the returning Kenta. Now I know they'd been in multi man matches before in pro wrestling Noah, but I believe this was their very first one on one encounter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Their very first singles match. And again, for folks, this is not the, uh, quote, stupid Hideo Itami, unquote, that you once knew at this point. This is very much Kenton. While you could, for this match, the biggest takeaway from it was that, yeah, this is not the same Kenta from five years ago getting out of pro wrestling. No, but at the same time, with time, injuries, and different factors playing a hand, it was never going to be the same guy that left Japan, but what we kind of got instead is this sort of short, angry, very grumpy, kicky boy who uh, was not taking any of Kota Ibushi's shit, and I was here for it. It was like Looper the wrestling match. Mm-hmm. It was, and like, Kenta is Bruce Willis, and Kota is clearly Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. And he, I would even argue to an extent to uh, my co-host and Jeffrey Wasso and I even uh, spoke on this is that Kenta kind of feels like this sort of retro 90s Pororesu guy that would fit within King's Road without any issues whatsoever in that particular era with his kind of grumpiness, the particular style, very Kawada-esque with the way he sort of behaved himself here and going forward. And it definitely showed now the match had some takeaways from it uh coda did kind of hurt his ankle pretty bad during a point there as well and you could tell with certain things that they had to do uh the eventual go to sleep that got it done didn't look the best that it could but i feel that was more so protecting coda given that he had been hurt to begin with to not like escalate it but Overall, I still enjoyed the match for what it was, a good 20, uh, almost the 21-minute marker it reached on that one. Yeah, this is a definite watcher. Uh, they just kicked the hell out of each other. Uh, very, very much uh, uh, somewhere Akira Maeda is smiling. <laughs> the work that they did here for sure. Uh, but yeah, definite watch it. Uh, a sign of things to come from uh, Kenta. Very exciting indeed. Um, and man, you want to talk about exciting of all the things on this stack card, the main event was the thing I was most excited about because, you know, what really drew me to new Japan and kept me there, you know, kept my attention there for the first time since my dabbling in tape training in the, uh, late nineties, early two thousands was the feud between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. So the fact that they were going to get to do it in America for the very first mm-hmm. time very much excited me. Even with the injuries piling up like Cordwood to Tanahashi, the fact is he's still Tanahashi. And the fact is that Okada, in my opinion, is still the best wrestler on planet Earth. So, I mean, yep. send your hate tweets yep. to Jack to at Jack Heartless on Twitter. But I've been maintaining this position for quite some time. It's a fair position to have. It's He's a very 
he's a very good pick if you had to have somebody in that particular position from your own personal standpoints for sure and i did love the fact that the crowd took that moment to really sort of appreciate the history that they were seeing as well by just coming unglued the moment that bell rang after the two made their entrances um another note that i want to make too is that really for the first time uh throughout these u.s shows it was kind of the first time that it really felt that tanahashi was treated kind of like the big deal that he is at least stateside was just because mostly we'd seen him in tags here and there during a couple of the G1 specials. Uh, we saw him kind of in the middle portion of the uh, MSG card, but seeing him in this kind of main event standpoint, his first American main event while it's Okada's third or fourth off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just nice seeing that that respect kind of come through for Tana as well, because he is literally the guy that kind of, almost single-handedly had to pull the company out from one of its darkest stages. So Absolutely. it was a fun, it was a fun bit to see. And the match arguably made, they have not delivered the same way some of their G1 matches of years past have, but still a fantastic 20 minute bout between them. Nonetheless, it had and a decisive finish. First after of all. four try, four tries yes. is what it took. And, and finally, also, finally, we have I love the urgency from Tanahashi right up front because that mm-hmm. illustrated all of that illustrated so much story to me as somebody who's watched those draws to be like, well, fuck, I know, <laughs> I know we never get it done in 30 or less. So I need to, it, it, it almost reminded me of Kenny versus Okada in the G1 from a few years back where they were just like, mm-hmm. well, looks like we're unloading bombs early folks. Yep, that definitely had that feel to it from the get-go. Yeah, and like Tana was doing stuff that I didn't think he was going to be busting out anytime soon. High fly flows to the floor. Just the high fly flow in general I thought was pretty much going to get phased out. But nope, he uh, he reached into the magic bag and he he brought it back. And they they just went to town. I, I loved this match a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... I fan as well definitely go watch it just absorb the crowd for sure in terms of just as a proof that new japan can succeed in america it just may be a bit of a shift that they may have to do in terms of the buildings that they're running which i think they took the heart given that it was on the same show in which they announced the fighting spirit unleashed tour which is going to be hitting Three main buildings that Ring of Honor runs on a constant basis, and it's likely going to sell them out compared to, you know, Ring of Honor. Good. Good. Yeah. Everybody uh, go this... be fans at those shows instead. Wink. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so night two is a week later. We are now back in Japan. Uh, notable by his absence in America due to contractual obligations was one Jonathan Moxley. And uh, we will be seeing him in just a little bit. But we start off B-block action for the tournament with uh, Juice Robinson and Shingo. Like, uh, hot damn. First of all, Juice Robinson uh, coming out looking like the Thundertaker. I've heard comparisons to he looks like the inside of a Taco Bell and I'm like... Uh, Shit, I can actually see that. <laughs> he he looks like an extra on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. 
Yes, um, he I would mean, fit. He would fit in just fine. And uh, Kristen had the best one. My my illustrious girlfriend, who folks have heard on the podcast before, uh, she she saw him walk onto TV uh, out of the tunnel, and she went, "Wow, he somehow manages to look like both Toll Jam and Earl." <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Kristen's one. an Kristen's an absolute unit. I love her. Yeah, she's she's incredible. Um, she is tweeting about wrestling again. For those of you so lucky to uh, see it, follow her on Twitter at Wanda102. She's hilarious. She's been watching the G1 with me this year. She's got some great stuff to say about it. Um, this was this was a great one. Uh, this is one I'm afraid that the match quality being so high in the G1, especially so far this year, it may get lost in the shuffle but is definitely worth a watch. Juice Robinson, only the second man in New Japan Pro Wrestling to hang an L on the dragon. Yep, and biggest thing to consider here as well, too, is that B Block was kind of the uncertain block for a lot of people coming into the G1 this year, just because of so many new faces and a couple of different mixes, but... Juice and Shingo right off the bat proving that this block is going to be super dope, and I can't wait to see more of it as we eventually did. So, yeah, yeah super excited. Go watch this match. Very yep. fun match. They, they the set table. the goddamn tone. They they beat each other up for about 15 minutes. Left hand of God in the pulp friction finishes it. Shingo loses nothing in defeat here. Um, you know, he's two for two and looking great against heavyweights now between, between whooping Kojima's ass and uh, this opener here with Juice, he's on a roll. He's having a great year. Um, and he, he will continue to do so. We'll get back to the, his name in a few minutes. Uh, this next one was kind of interesting. It didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, it was Taichi, who, uh, very funny you talked about comparing uh, Kenta to Kawada, because Taichi, as the somewhat ridiculed and outcast uh, pupil of Kawada was getting a lot of mentions with his name on commentary so far on the English side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Faced off against John Moxley, an interesting strategy for Tai Chi. <laughs> Decided to jump an absolute lunatic on his way this, down the steps. The Suzuki Gun 101 book. Gotta love it. Absolutely. They stay consistent. Murdered Dad taught him well, but uh, boy, did it come back to bite him in the ass. <laughs> Yep. That's uh, uh, that Yuranagi. Mm-hmm. The Yuranagi for the table was just. Mwah. And and then the amazing, very Moxley character beat of like getting right in the face of a crying Miho Abe and blowing her a kiss. Oh God, yes, absolutely. John Moxley's <laughs> on fucking fire right now. Yep. Just a very fun way of introducing John Moxley to the G1 portion of things. And eventually, yeah, uh, Death Rider gets it done in about seven and a half minutes. Uh, as you mentioned, a match that didn't overstay its welcome. Fun little brawl between them before the bell started and they kind of took it around. Uh, Tokyo Hood Award there for a little bit. So, you know, yeah, just if you're tight for time, you can skip this one. But and you can probably catch the important stuff in the gifts on Twitter. But uh, you know, I I still had fun with it. I love the the other beat at the end where where uh, Moxley looked down the barrel of the camera. And he's like, <laughs> "That's what happens when you piss me off." <laughs> for for me in particular, I'm just gonna say this for my own personal take. 
if you need to skip the undercard, it's understandable. Uh, I would just say if we're talking block matches, unless it's something egregiously offensive, don't skip them just because you get little nuggets like this that are yeah. sprinkled every so often between all the crazy stuff that eventually happens in this tournament. Like this next match. See, I was just about to say, I would say if I'm going to be forced to pick, I would say skip Moxley Tai Chi for time because you'll have you'll have the time to catch Tetsuya Naito versus Toru Yano. Like, oh man, Naito shit talking going into this match. Let's start there. Saying, I don't understand why Naito's even in this tournament. It was, uh, it was essentially yeah, the New Japan, in this tournament. Yeah. yeah. It was the New yeah. Japan equivalent of, oh my god, she doesn't even go here. Yep. And, and not to mention during the course of the match with Naito actually doing Yano shtick to a certain extent as well with the turnbuckle spot oh, portion. As, well, which just brilliant lampshading. And the problem here is this is tournament ace Yano Toru that we're talking about here. Yeah. If he can cheat his way out of a match, he will find the means to do it. And I love to see Naito, but play stupid games you win, win stupid, stupid prizes. prizes you know no fair play no more from wrestle boy yano he is <laughs> he is back to his old tricks uh the hockey shirt over the head the roll up uh you know you're, you're gonna be hard pressed to find a funnier three minutes and 52 seconds in pro wrestling this year i'll say that right now oh goodness and again, not the start that a lot of people expected, but hey, uh, this is this was the equivalent. Anytime that you're going up against Toriyano should be considered the equivalent of a trap game in professional wrestling. Absolutely, it's it's like it's like playing one of the Cleveland team. It's like it's like playing Cleveland in the NFL. You never know what you're gonna get. If you sleep on it, you might get stung. I think that's the best way I can put it. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, just ridiculous stuff. Uh, the next match, however, completely took a hard turn back to just Haas Battle City. And that is Jeff Cobb in his very first G1 match against a very familiar foe. Uh, you know, the notorious Ishii. Yes, sir. Very fun. Uh, exciting match. I was waiting to see it, so... Yeah, it, it, this was a lot of fun. This was fucking excellent. Um, one of my favorite parts was when Cobb hit the headbutt and then the pile driver. And I was just like, that won't beat him. <laughs> Ishii's got no neck. <laughs> True. It was just... If, if you like your big lads beating the crap out of each other, you're going to love this match. If you watch their, their never open weight title match, you're going to you definitely will. This this gives a big old thumbs up from me. You're you're gonna mm -hmm. dig the hell out of it. Um, probably I will go as far as to say this is the best match of this show. Yeah, it's a, I would say definitely has uh, the argument there for it. Uh, but for me, I enjoyed Juice and Shingo the most. But this one would have been kind of your two A to the two B, which we're gonna talk about here next. Yes. Yes. Um, now, this this main event for night two, this started what I think is my favorite storyline of the G1 so far. So here comes Switchblade Jay White. And if you're paying attention to the way B-Block's set up, oh boy, 
just about every Chaos member that isn't named Okada is in the B block with the Chaos turncoat Jay White. And it dawned, didn't dawn on me right away. It took me till night four and Kristen was like, oh my god, are they going to have him face all the Chaos guys? And I went, fuck, that's good. <laughs> And he starts here with Hiroki Goto. Let's also talk about the insane shape Goto is in. I mean... Yeah, mm -hmm. he definitely put in the work in the LA Dojo, or as Tetsuya Naito has mistaken it all this time, La Dojo. I was going to wait until we got to his match with uh, Goto for that, but yes, yes. Him, him misreading that shirt as bad Spanish is very fucking funny to me. <laughs> It's very on-brand for Naito on top of it, too, which just made me howl even further. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Goto looked the best he's ever looked. I'd say better than what's considered, like, his brief peak in 08-09 when he won the G1 and he was sacrificed to the altar of Muto. Yep. He just, his, his trap game, his shoulder game is insane. 11 out of 10. Would recommend. Uh, you know, definitely lost... Definitely lost some uh, some weight and some mass around the midsection. He just looks he just looks like he's ready to go. He looks like a fucking endurance machine. Mm -hmm. He look he looks like a dad in the making, which is a good thing. Oh, you'll love to see it. You'll love to see it. So, you know, if if, if he continues with the start he's had so far, they may have done the improbable and gotten me invested in Hiroki Goto again. I, I can't say yep. for sure. Wait and see approach. We absolutely, but uh, this one was really good. They told a lot of story here. Uh, I loved Switchblade being so confident that I, I believe this was the match where he sat Gato down behind the railing, right? Uh, or was or was that Yano? I, I believe that would be Yano. Yes, which we'll get to. Yeah, he, at some point here. But yes, he I talked mean, a boatload of shit about Goto though. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing that for a while since beating him as far back as on the uh, lead up during I want to say the new beginning tour, off the top of my head, yeah. or the, or just one of the Dontaku. That's what I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. My bad. Yep, the Dontaku tours. Because yeah, that Matt, this whole thing dates back to that particular tour and the issues that they were having personally. So yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, this was. This was good stuff. They kicked the hell out of each other. This one started slow, in my opinion, but man, that last three to five minutes. Mm -hmm. That's the story here. That was a hot finish. And he busted out the Shoten Kai, which we popped for here at the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just kind of one of those like, wait, you haven't used this in a while. Whoa. You're actually taking this full, full dead on serious. Oh, fuck. Oh. We, when he hit Shoten Kai, we thought that was it. We totally bit on that yeah. fall. Uh, yeah, I bought it as well, too. Like, I thought him busting it. I'm like, yeah, this is over at this point. I'm like, wait, what? I thought that was some – yeah, I thought, again, more King's Road. You, between Shingo – yeah, B Block we can almost call King's Road light because we have Shingo, we have Goto, we have Taichi. I mean – for real. It's definitely got some of that vibe to it, but this felt that felt like super finisher shit mm -hmm. when he hit that. I was so convinced. 
But yeah, for him to go on and win that match, huge win for him. Uh, you know, the guy who came within an eyelash of winning B block, I'm sorry, of winning A block last year, and the only guy to hang a loss on both Okada and Tana. The only guy to hang hung a loss on Tana, period, the entire tournament last year. And he starts 0-1. Yeah, that Jay White already in the pick was, as you mentioned, that initial beat of, oh, Goto just took care of you. And then you got ya and then you got Ishii, and then you got Yano. It's the Chaos Revenge Tour, everybody. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. But uh we go back to A block for night three, and then we have the battle of the the Giants, I think is probably you know, as cliche as it is, it's really the only thing we can do with it. But, uh, you know, Lance Archer dragged Fale kicking and screaming to something decent here. Yeah, they really worked well together. I was pleasantly surprised by it as much as anybody. Um, it, it, and interestingly enough, uh, obviously, a good 10-minute brawl between them. They got some good things to happen, a couple of near finishes. But one quick thing that I want to highlight as well, just because I know we're not covering the undercards portion most, but I do feel that this needs to be talked about, Mm -hmm. as this sort of was the first teaming of John Moxley and Shota, please call me Shooter, Umino, uh, and these undercards as well. Go out of your way to check out these tags whenever they are on between the two of them, because they just... The entire aesthetic between them is fantastic. I love just... that he calls him Shooter. <laughs> the best bit. I'm just like so fucking good. Sh- Shooter's just so fucking confused by everything. <laughs> just, just it just adds to it. I think basically. he's got long-term <laughs> concussion sy- symptoms from the initial beating Moxley gave him before he adopted him. Yep. But... D- d- just, just G1 things. Just G1 things. Exactly. Uh, love that they put over the claw actually being strong enough to pin Fale here. Like, holy crap. Yeah, and first you... pinfall he's taken in a while. And, of course, the first pinfall he's taken in a G1 in roughly a year and a half now. Yeah. All the losses coming out of DQs and such or countouts last year around. So, yeah, Lance Archer having a clean pinfall on Folly kind of shows how serious they are about pushing him as an actual threat to this A block. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of uh, speaking of some threats to this block, this next match, holy shit, we were like had us jumping off the couch here. This was huge for both guys, and this was Will Osprey beating Sonata in a little over 17 minutes for his first win of the G1. Uh, not definitely not the outcome you were looking for. Um, longtime listeners definitely know you as uh, the president of the North American chapter of the uh, Saya Sonata fan club. Yeah, pretty much. And to me in particular, I'll say this from a match perspective, some of the tr- kind of the reversals and transitions that they were doing, a couple of them didn't fall as much on the marker as I would have hoped. A few awkward little sequences here and there, but overall, uh, very frenetic pace between the two. Uh, there was the one-upsmanship game being uh, the thing that it was throughout it. Uh, and while the result wasn't particularly pleasing to me, uh, I still think it makes sense to finally get Osprey at least like 
kind of get him in the gates as somebody who should be taken seriously in this block, regardless of who he is up against. And Sonata is not a guy that's going to be necessarily hurt by taking this fall at this point either. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to point out two good things and then one bad thing here about this match. Uh, first of all, the fact that it felt like they both had a little bit more in the tank, like they could have an even crazier match down the line. And also, on top of that, the fact that these two, in a very select group that it does include Ibushi, of course, um, could very well, if given the chance, change the way heavyweights are viewed and presented in New Japan in the long haul going forward. These guys are all locked in for multi-years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the, these are guys who can definitely keep that speed up especially for for that heavyweight size that doesn't always happen mm-hmm. so uh you know very very intriguing idea but uh, now for the bad part and the bad part is will osprey fucking breaking the goddamn kayfabe of the paradise lock yeah uh that was not particularly pleasing and yet Feels like something Will Ospreay would do in real life because it's kind of a dick in real life. It, in case you haven't noticed I yet, was guys. fucking yelling from my couch. I was pissed off. Kristen started laughing at me. She's like, what happened? I screamed. I was like, this fucking bellend broke the paradise lock. And it's like, you know, you can think what you want about it, but it is something that has been established as one of his signature moves. Nobody breaks it unless they take at least one foot to the ass. So it just, it pissed me off that he had to do, like, a flippity-doo out of it, because look at him, he's Will Ospreay. I was just like, God damn it! Yeah. Why do you have to make it so difficult to like you in every conceivable way? (laughs) Not wrong. Not wrong at all. Hot about it for the rest of this leg of the tournament, quite honestly. (laughs) Fucking pissed. But yeah. 17 minutes, Stormbreaker gets it done. Osprey grabs his first two points of the G1 ever. Sonata's one and one. Uh, we go into the next match, which I think surprised a lot of people, both in terms of the time that it took and the result. Because a lot of people had it pegged as this was the one Okada was in the books to lose because of a certain event in England coming up at the end of August. And it was mentioned as much in commentary, that, of course, being uh, the Kazuchika Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. match. Yeah, everybody, um, including me, was pretty certain that uh, a win here would uh, get him a title shot at the Copper Box next month. But it's funny because during the G1 press conference, he went, no, fuck all that. I'm going to win the whole tournament and then I'm going to take the title shot at the Copper Box, which was like, oh, strong flex, but okay. Um so, yeah, this only went about 12 minutes, and, uh, yeah, you know, Okada got down and wrestled with him. You know, I think people forget sometimes uh, that guy can go. Yeah. What if Kazu's a big boy who can do the graps well? He sure Don't forget is. that. <laughs> and I did love how Zach was selling a lot of the um, offense as well kind of how he folded on a couple of those lariats including the final rainmaker was just top notch like an envelope yeah i'm like wow he just died cool that tomb that tombstone in particular looked oh god very gnarly reminding me good lord 
Yeah, just. Why is that? Yeah, hate to so see fucking it. Good at everything. <laughs> I mean, some people will beg to differ with you on that, but again, that's a different podcast and a different argument in its entirety. I've enjoyed this bouts throughout the tournament so far into it. So I, I this one definitely. I boldly state that he is indeed the Brian Eno of pro wrestling, and that's a fucking fantastic thing, and people need to get on board. There you go. But yeah, Rainmaker in 12 minutes gets it done. Okada, four points, uh, riding a really good stretch overall, dating back to last year's uh, G1. Uh, hasn't lost a match in the G1 basically since losing to Jay White last year. And that is the thing that we're going to keep talking about here because, boy... A trend. Oh boy, it is indeed. So if you'll notice, there's a lot of, the, you know, with the exception of uh, Archer and Folly, and even that was fairly good. You know, these are all watch them so far on this night. Yeah, um, definitely. That won't change here. Uh, Evil versus Kota Ibushi. Talk about a match that over delivered beyond anybody's expectations. Hell to I, the yes. my God, that's just... the best description of that. And just. They worked really, really well together. I was very pleasantly surprised by that. But then again, Evil's kind of brings it up a notch during these tournaments. He's done it the past two G1s, and it doesn't look like this year is going to be any different. I, I wish Tournament Evil would carry a little bit of that with into regular Evil the rest of the year. True. Yeah, that, that's a fair assessment to make. I just... it's He's... Because tournament evil is what gets me excited for the rest of the year, only to be invariably let down. And that might be a bit harsh. Granted. But... Mm -hmm. And he's also, you know, fighting the current of a... of a faction in Los Ingobernables de Japón, who everybody with the exception of... Uh, of um, oh god, what's his name? Uh, Bushi. There we go. God damn, I'm terrible. Uh, everybody with the exception of Bushi has a claim to being like a main event or near main event guy. So it's easy to get lost in that sometimes. Yeah, not to mention this is like the one faction in New Japan that where they're just like, fuck it, we'll fight each other. Uh, we don't care. It's good competition. That's rather than that's some the of the way... other factions that are just kind of like, eh, unless it's the G1 or Special Super Juniors. No thanks. Hey, if they don't they don't get down and fight each other sometimes, Animal Hamaguchi will come looking for them. <laughs> Sounds about right. I mean, this is this is known to be true. You know, that 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 dude don't fuck around. Yeah, definitely not. And again, Koda here selling the Yanko considerably. Yeah. Uh, as it was sort of shown in the effects that it took three kicks to do the job of what one normal Koda Ibushi kick would do under one hundred percent circumstances. But a lot of near falls, a lot of good uh, sequences between the two. Eventually, everything is evil, and 19 minutes, roughly at that 19-minute mark is when evil uh, finishes it off, gets his first two points to the surprise of a couple of people. Absolutely. He's got to pick some up somewhere, so this was a good place to do it against an injured Coda, who, by the way, the spectacle of one-legged moonsault Coda, and it's still yeah. looking just like fucking fluid and amazing and totally unfair mm -hmm. the things that man could do with one leg that i can't even do with two hell i probably couldn't even do it with three yeah mm -hmm. sounds about right for us but uh oh this next one mm. this had dream match written all over it 
Dream Match written all over it, and we were also getting kind of one of my favorite things, which is Angry Bitter Get Off My Fucking Lawn Hiroshi Tanahashi, which is a treat to watch every time he comes out. Absolutely, because as it turns yeah, yeah, because as it turns out, he just hates people who aren't in New Japan, and he will let you know like he did in the lead-up to this match through uh, backstage promos. He, he was very adamant about the fact that Kenta's just this lost little boy who should just go back home, Ugh. you know? Hot take Kenta this last year, year and a half has been a goddamn delight. Yep. And, oh man, he did not mince words when it came to Kenta whatsoever. So I'm glad you mentioned that, because this was framed very much as King's Road versus Strong Style. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe more so than any of the matches he's had so far and any of the matches he will have until the inevitable showdown with Okada. Uh, yep. And I love how Shibata, with each successive match, is getting closer and closer to the ring. He moved yep. from the tunnel down to the commentary table. Yes, sir. So, yeah, that was that was a real fun beat. Uh, this... If, if you're familiar with the Tanahashi that would kind of make special, you know, special appearances when he would fight Shibata in the G1, then that's that's kind of a taste of the Tanahashi we're getting here. But with grizzled old man dust to go on top uh, to match Kenta's similar grizzled old man. It was just like, fuck, they just were like, OK, we're, we're doing this. Let's go. Let's dance, raggedy man. Yep. Just teed off on each other accordingly throughout it. Um, the crowd at, uh, in this case, yeah, just the crowd letting them know outright in Oda Word that this was Tanahashi country and Kenta was an outsider. And they made that very clear through their reactions. And Kenta, to his credit, just fucking leaned into them every time. Because in and case you forgot... A- Kenta Kobayashi is really fucking good at pro wrestling. It's been a, it's been a treat. It's a very different take on Kenta compared to 2014 Kenta that left the country with all hopes and dreams kind of on his shoulders to an extent. But it just really good match. Go out of your way to watch it. Eventually, uh, Go to Sleep does get it done at 18 and a half. And that go to Kenta sleep picks up the victory. Pretty. Yep. It's that. And Kenta having the microphone for the first time in the New Japan ring too. Very important in the fact that he kind of used it as a way of reintroducing himself, introducing himself to a brand new audience because there, in Japan there definitely are those New Japan loyalists that probably have not touched pro wrestling no but a 10-foot pole. Uh, it's kind of just like got to introduce yourself somewhat and one little moment that I do want to point out from the post match which YouTube's Japan channel go out of your way to watch some of those backstage interviews if you can as well because they do land a really good amount of context not only for the matches that happened but for some of the stuff to come uh, during post tags and such but one particular bit when Kenta was talking about his run in the G1 somebody in the crowd shouted Kazuchika Okada will stop you and Kenta's is like, yeah, I got a good, pretty good set of pipes over there. That That's enough for now. And then he just kind of goes into this field that he's here to win the G1. He's not just here to 
visit a couple of friends and things like that. And he's establishing himself as the guy to beat in this block, which is going to be another story that we're going to cover to come night five. Absolutely. Um, Another thing I, I loved about this, and it's something that kind of got my, you know, had, had got my partner reinvested in watching the shows with me. She would remark how much she loved it that we had live time translations from one Chris Charlton of these closing yeah. promos and the press conferences, and how much that helped the investment of the stories that are tell- going on. And it definitely helped here. Uh, you missed my favorite post show, bo- post match moment of the entire tournament up to this point. Kenta has knocked out Tanahashi, and they are taking him out of the ring, and he offers his hand. And Tana thinks about it for a minute, and he was going to shake it, and then he lifts his hands up and turns away. Yep. Just absolutely not. Ready, not. not ready to do it yet. As even uh, Charlton and uh, Rocky Romero covered, it's like, how long did it take him to shake Shibata's hand? Oh, about a decade. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> Tanahashi, <laughs> noted grudge holder. Yep, just v- very, very much so. And again, one one of these things too. Uh, Chris Charlton, kind of poor guy, was in a little bit of controversy as well. As apparently TV Asahi uh, didn't want him on commentary anymore until people raised the storm about it accordingly. So that that was an interesting two days when that went down during that course between nights two and three i believe yeah they were kind of shitty about it and i would have hated not having him on commentary because it's the only it's the only great three-man commentary booth in wrestling right now and that's kevin kelly rocky romero and chris charlton i mean you ever thought you'd say that it's a weird combination but i'm okay with it after experiencing it for as long as i have at this point i love it a lot let's just keep going Yeah. yeah let's keep going with it absolutely so we rolled from here Right back into the B block for night four, and we started B block with uh, Shingo getting his first taste of a one-on-one match with Toro Yano. Fuckery abound, and very, very well done. I do love the fact that everything that Yano tried to do onto Shingo, Shingo found just a way of, you know, countering him back and just beating him up for it it's almost like he saw what happened the not two nights prior and just decided hmm let's not do that i love i love the the lij sharing of information playing into that match you made a great point because everything that worked against naito and every night bait that naito took shingo went uh-uh baby and he just fucking <laughs> no, stomped we're him. not doing that <laughs> eventually yep Stomped him for a little bit there. You had certain moments in which you thought Yano would have it, though. Uh, didn't quite get it done. Eventually, a pumping bomber does the trick at the six-minute marker. Shingo picks up his first G1 win and gets himself a taste what it's like in the big time. Yeah, absolutely. In the New Japan, in the New Japan side, let's not forget that Shingo Takagi is a champion carnival competitor from the previous year, having had a pinfall victory over current a. Uh, all Japan Pro Wrestling Triple Crown Champion, Kento Miyahara. Sorry, just needed to throw that out there in case this whole Shingo's just a junior guy narrative was buying into some people's head. Yeah. Kind of noted noted <laughs> Ducker of Okada, Kento Miyahara. Yeah, said it. Ain't nobody scared. Bruh. I'm a hold to it. 
It's yeah, it may be the most controversial shit I say on this show all year, and that covers a lot of ground. But I just fucking <laughs> said it. Prove me wrong, oh, Lord. Prove me wrong, Ace. Prove me wrong. As we move on, <laughs> we got Godo versus the Thundertaker, Juice Robinson. And uh, you know this was this was good, like upper mid card New Japan stuff. You know, guys, guys beating the tar out of each other. I do like uh, Juice's incorporation of the jackhammer and the fact that he just looks like he flattens a fool at the bottom of that thing. Yeah, true. So, um, yeah, all the stuff I said about Goto earlier, he looks good. This was solid, but I don't know that I would, you know, there's been a lot of good stuff already. I don't know that this compares to some of that other stuff. But, I, I would say that's going to be a skip it for me on the extent that I feel that they didn't have the best match that they could possibly have, but we may see it down the line. Mm-hmm. I think this was just kind of a little bit of a taste for maybe another encounter sometime down the line for a never open way title or even an IC title or something along those lines. It's a wait and see approach yeah, here. They, but... they definitely feel like they have a better one in them. Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes into the next match as well because I definitely think this is another one that they probably have a better one in them, but between the time that they were allotted and the Hokkaido crowd kind of honestly not giving much of a shit about it, uh, which, John Moxley versus Jeff Cobb kind of fell a little bit flat. Which for is a me, real personally. shame because I love how different Moxley is from everything else in the G1, Yano included. Mm-hmm. Um, he just brings this different vibe, this fucking yeah. bruiser Brody, just wild, out-of-control vibe to it. Just a really dangerous vibe that I can't remember the G1 having in a long time. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I think had you given them at least kind of the same time that you gave Juice and Goto, they could have used those five minutes to probably get that crowd a little bit hotter for the finishing sequence, but it just ended kind of suddenly with the uh, on the ropes uh, modified version of the Death Rider and it just really didn't pick up the way we kind of were expecting it to there uh, around that time sequence when it eventually led into that finish so it's kind of unfortunate I do think that they have a better match in them sometime down the line uh, is just uh, not happening in the G1 I guess so it is what it is uh, not, not everything can be a winner but no, not not when you got, not when you got uh, every guy having nine matches before we get to the final. You know, there's not everyone's gonna be a barn burner. However, when you're when you're Tomohiro Ishii, damn near everyone Tor- is a barn burner. No noted literal G1 ace Tomohiro Ishii. Yes. And let let me. I'm just gonna go on record by saying this. It might be a bold take to some people. It might not. This is Jay White's best match in his entire career. Holy shit. 100%. Holy shit. Um, like this is it's top quintessentially ev- everything that was done. It beat out him versus Juice at the uh, show at the show last year at the Cow Palace to me. Wow. Because I would put this in his top three ever. I would have, in no particular order, this one, Juice at the Cow Palace, and uh, the match versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom this year. Fair. 
So, but uh, this definitely belongs in that conversation for sure because they told some great, they they told some great stories here, and this continues the larger, uh, the larger chaos revenge tour because Ishii put the hurting bombs on him. And you could tell, like from a story perspective, Ishii was just waiting for the opportunity to just get his gigantic stone pit bull fangs right all over Jay White's friggin' everything. Just, my God. Yep. And, and I mean, Jay held his own, definitely, a lot of fantastic sequences between uh, the two. I felt that when it comes down to it, with when it comes to, like, reversing the Blade Runner and things like that, sometimes you can get a lot of the similar counters to it just because of the motion being the way that it is, but... Ishii, some way, somehow, just finds a way of countering it in a completely different perspective, and you're just like, my god, how did this just happen? What the fuck is going on? Like, I love how his brain works. I wish, you know, it's one of those times I wish he'd say more, because, you know, I feel like somewhere down the line, he's finally going to just sit down and have an interview, and we're going to finally pit, like, pick his brain, because, like, secret wrestling genius Tomohiro Ishii, we, we must know. <laughs> it's like... At- it's one of the situations where you're not sure if he's just literally like super incredibly smart wrestling genius or just kind of an idiot savant and the savant part comes down every time that you talk pro wrestling with them yeah you know um i think it was right around this time after night four aired that the the chatter started up on twitter again being like is ishii secretly the best wrestler in the world and one metric that uh sterling richards uh friend of the show and commentator for freelance wrestling mentioned is you know if you really think about it can you think of an ishii match you ishii one-on-one match you don't enjoy because i can't yeah he's got a point he's not wrong it's he's not wrong here at all incredible metric and it made me sit back and i was like i was like that gif of that guy like thinking and putting his hand on his chin and be like Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and of course, uh, when, it, when it comes down to it as well, Tomohiro Ishii does pick up the win here, vertical drop, brain buster at the 19-minute mark. Jay White down to 0-2 to start the tournament after running roughshod throughout most of last year was a trend that not a lot of people were expecting mm-hmm. by any means, uh, but a very interesting kind of start to his G1 saga this year where – people are a little more akin to his bullshit compared to last year around. So some people are countering it accordingly. Um, Also noted, just to date back really quickly to night two, uh, it should be noted that Tomohiro Ishii does have a pinfall victory over the current pro wrestling guerrilla world champion. I'm just saying battle of Los Angeles is about a month or so away or two months or so away at this point. As of press and, time, we have four. We have uh, nine slots left. Yeah, we have nine slot. We have nine slots left. There are three nights. Uh, there is a certain uh, Super J Cup tour that's going to be happening around that portion juncture of the year as well. I'm just saying, if Jack Hobb needs to defend that title on night three Ebola, just just throwing it out there. I'm down. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that was our quick, quick addendum for the course of the evening, or one of many. We'll see where where this goes. But one of many. main event time, we we go into uh, Hokkaido is 
technically Taichi territory where they are at over in Sapporo there. So uh, Taichi gets the main event this night against uh, his now sort of current nemesis Tetsuya Naito. They've had their bouts uh, involving the IC title. This one featured a little more chicanery than most people would have expected and more to like my own personal liking. I've liked some of the earlier matches a lot better than this one. But I get what they were going for here in this one. And there were some moments, definitely. This this felt much longer than the 21 minutes it was. This It really did. This may be the one main event I say to skip. Because other mm-hmm. than the storyline development of him finally revealing what was in the bag, which technically was done in the undercard tag the night before where he had absconded with the iron fingers of death from the retired uh izuka takashi izuka yep you know that was it was it was like action at the very end but a lot of it was kind of zabisco-esque stalling yeah, just, and uh, uh, chicanery and just yeah i dad i didn't dig it this personally didn't yeah dig it. No, yeah, mostly just a lot of chicanery all around that happened in this one. Decent match, but out of the main events that we're talking in all of these six nights, that would be the skippable one for both of us. And I say this as a not Tetsuya Naito fan, big time. So it, it will eventually lead to a much better match between them down the line when it comes to time to defend the IC title for Naito and such. So, uh, but until then, just... Yeah, this one's a little bit more on the skippable side. One quick thing to note in this case, since they are in the Hokkaido area for this, is that they did announce that the uh, New Beginning shows in uh, New Beginning Show in Sapporo is being expanded to a two-night event next year around. So, kind of showing again, New Japan's kind of starting to flex their muscles a little bit more with more shows in certain areas. We saw it with Osaka Dominion, where they announced both. Uh, New Beginning and Dominion are going to be run at Osaka Joe Hall next year around, and then Sapporo's getting a two-night New Beginning as well. So, things to note for the future. Yeah, in addition to the two-night Wrestle Kingdom, which will see the retirement of Jushin Thunder Liger and the winner of this G1, you know, uh, fighting for the IWGP Heavyweight title in one of those main events. So, I mean, just crazy growth for new japan pro wrestling even in light of uh, all the folks that have left mm-hmm, definitely so uh kind of the biggest takeaway from this is that the japan market is still continuing to grow they're uh, doing still numbers that are comparable to or much more in terms of attendance in japan just the attendance in america uh not as much but then again we kind of understand the big reason why for that so absolutely absolutely and i think i think that's going to that's going to come back organically as the market overall for wrestling here in North America continues to get even stronger because I, I think definitely think it is. But again, that is, uh, we, we, we've been talking about that a lot in the lead up to this. I'd recommend going back and listen last couple of weeks. I've covered all the, uh, AEW events up to this point with the only exception being fight for the fallen, which kind of got lost in the shuffle here. Uh, but there was definitely stuff I like on that, which we'll probably cover in our all out preview. Uh, when we get to that point, because they're doing some great stuff there. Uh, best of which, by the way, is Tully fucking Blanchard. Tully mm-hmm. Blanchard. One of the five best heels of all time. Go out, do your research. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, 
<laughs> Let's go to Knight 5. Um, this opener on the A block side for Knight 5. Um, weird take, and I might be the only one that feels this. I liked Kenta versus Lance Archer just as much, if not more, than Will Ospreay versus Lance Archer. Is that odd? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. I thought they did something a little bit different uh, compared to what Osprey and Archer did, but I thought the dynamic worked just as well in between them. Kenta kind of got his first uh, test in terms of uh, size. Somebody uh, who's a much bigger size than him and him having to cut him down. Good moments between the two. Uh, the obvious highlight being Lance Archer literally lifting uh Kenta by his chin and going, you are it Hideo Itami, you're fucking Itami. Slaps and then getting just the most resounding slap across his face for it was just. Oh, yeah. He should have gotten more than just the one slap, but still, I thought it was a good little moment there. And the big thing being here that Kenta busted out game over, aka the LaBelle walk to finish this off at the 11, uh, almost 12 minute mark. That tap out got a huge reaction from us here at the house. That was a great mm -hmm. finish. It made sense. It was a little bit surprising. It was a great result. It puts Kenta in the driver's seat in A block. Yes. Which is wild. And that's the crazy thing. And I think this is as good of a time as any to go boat take Chris as we eventually are going to be covering, you know, the rest of the tournament and such. But there is a certain match that is going to be happening on the course of uh, one of the nights here coming up uh, where, well, uh, Kenta is going to have to clash against Kazuchika Okada. I think and I'm going to agree with your hot take. That take is that Kenta picks up the win on that one and puts himself in the driver's seat to outright not only just win that not only win that match and eventually win a shot at Okada and the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, but I think at this point you could probably convince me that he's going to win a block. That would be insane. Because now if you if you go back and listen to our previous episode from a couple weeks ago, my bold predictions were Ibushi wins A block and Switchblade wins B block with Ibushi finally winning the G1. And both of those mm -hmm. predictions look pretty off right now, especially that B block uh, prediction. Holy shit. Boy. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, you know, uh, a strong ass case is being made for Kenta being a very viable winner of not only A block, but a, uh, a heavyweight title challenger. You know, if mm -hmm. if uh, Mara Fuji could do it, why couldn't he? Yeah, exactly. There's and I think that's definitely going to be a story beat that they can compare as well when that time comes because of the fact that Kenta and Marufuji being cut from the exact same cloth there mm -hmm. as well, just in different portions of their lives at the times in which it happened. But we do go from Kenta beating Lance Archer over to the clash that we were kind of waiting on to see that we're getting fairly early in the tournament with... Uh, Evil versus Sonata, the LIJ clash um, of this, the first of two LIJ clashes in this tournament. Also, I saw it, uh, Larry Zonka from 4101 Mania refer to this as the battle for Milano Collection AT's heart. Yep. <laughs> Milano, poor Milano, he was just so split in the commentary table with both of their gears, the little siphon hand, the little Sonata shirt is just like, uh, it's like, it, it, your heart must be like torn apart right now. Yeah. 
um, Kristen, this was the first she saw Sonata with the new gear and the new beard. Oh, so, boy. Yes. So, um, the, the determination was the new gear, obviously rad. Looking, looking like a, uh, looking like a, uh, very rich pirate. Um, but we were very undecided on that beard. I know that a lot of Twitter is incredibly torn on that beard. Um, the beard is still the worst part about it, and yeah. I'm pretty sure he's fucking doing it on purpose at this point. I think I saw somebody saying they wish he would lose a hair versus beard match at this point. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> and I, I would like, agree with that, but I think she finally, by like night five or six, settled on, you know what? I, I like the beard. It works. And I was like, really? It's just... You know at this point he has to be doing it on purpose. Like, that level of fuckery is just, like, you don't just unintentionally do that. I would have bought it if it was Kota Ibushi just because I love him, but he is as dumb as brick sometimes. And, yeah, believe me, once once we get to the middle portion of the tournament, you're going to have a hell of a lot to say about Ibushi if, with LIJ business. I just know it. I fucking yep. know it. But uh, this was this was good as their annual uh, tussle against one another always tends to be. Mm -hmm. Because they were stealing shit left, right, and center. Yep, definitely so. And a big part of it is just that they were kind of telling the story in terms of Sonata kind of t taking this seriously but not kind of at the same level of intensity that Evil's been having throughout ever since these blocks have been announced where you've seen him not partaking the roll calls with the uh, bumped fists and things of the sort. Uh, eventually, it does lead into Evil wrapping things up with the Evil STO at the 18-minute mark. Really good match between them. Definitely go go out of your way and watch that. It's If you want to see kind of that... LIJ doesn't fuck around even when it comes to like beating up on each other. This is a really good example of what how far they will go type of thing. So, uh, yeah, man, when they were stealing finishers and when Sonata hit everything is evil, I went bananas. Good lord! Oh man, I I for for whatever reason they got me for that five seconds. I was like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. I thought that was it, and yeah, that's the sign of a great match. I enjoyed this very very much. Um, the next match, uh, Fale, uh, against Okada, um, th you know, this was another thing where Fale was pulled to a good match because Okada is, in my opinion, the best wrestler in the world, and he just kind of put Fale on his back, and here we go. Um, I'll say this, normally, Okada versus Fale matches are actually really good because Okada does get seemingly get the best out out of folly every single time that they've been uh there with each other this was not one of those unfortunately i think out of their series of matches that they've had throughout the years this is probably the worst of the bunch i'm glad it finished up within 10 minutes i do think it overstayed its bulk in 10 minutes Ooh. given that we've had a little too much chicanery at that point to the quality not with the quality not living up to past Okada Fale matches, I would have been okay if that had been wrapped up like two minutes earlier kind of thing. I would say skip it, personally. Uh, but Okada does pick up the win with the roll-up here. And again, he's on that 
role of his where he has not been pinned or submitted in the G1 since Jay White beat him last year, guys. Keep that in mind. Yeah, so I mean, they're they're building, they're going something where with this for sure. Um, yeah, the next match though is, you know, I'm calling the shot. This is one of this not only was a better version of the match that uh, Zack Saber Jr. had on night one. Uh, I think this is one of this is going to be in my top five in my clubhouse for the tournament up to this point when when we do the roll call yeah. spoilers Hiroshi Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. didn't even break 15 minutes but holy shit I loved this match a lot I loved it so much better than their garden match to be honest they compressed on the time a little bit they did the things that they needed to do Tana going to the mat and proving that he could hang with Zack was a big fucking deal and that crowd and Korokrin bought it hook line and sinker oh, they ate it up with a spoon uh, yeah uh the cells from saver onto like the sling blade and things of the sword brilliant uh they, they just did a really good job getting this match to where it got uh and then the eventual finish just holy crap that entire crowd exploded and so the exact saber shooter in the aftermath i exploded i thought it was brilliant <laughs> yep oh man Yes, the ace rides again, you know, picks up uh, a pair on Zack Sabre Jr. here. Zack Sabre starting 0-3 as well, like, wild. And throwing the worst temper tantrums at that after these last few losses because of the realization that, oh, hey, remember how I told everybody that I was going to win the G1 and take the shot at the copper box? Uh, shit. Yep. Absolutely. So, man. A, a man hoisted by his own petard. You just hate to see it. <laughs> over and over again. Uh, and then we roll into the main event. And uh, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you've either seen this match or you've heard a hell of a lot about it on Twitter before now. And uh, yep. let me tell you, it's pretty warranted. This is the rematch from Wrestle Kingdom, one of the ones that a lot of folks had circled on their calendars. Our main event of Night 5 is Kota Ibushi versus Will Ospreay. A.K.A. the battle of whose neck is going to last. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, let's start it off. Um, it is, up until this point, the longest match of the G1 Climax. Uh, at yeah, 20... 27 minutes. Yep. Almost 28. Uh, but... The stuff they were doing and the building and building, uh, this was even better than their Wrestle Kingdom match, and I thought the Wrestle Kingdom match was superb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was just absolutely wild stuff. Um, a lot of what we're going to tell you is not going to do this match justice. There was some absolutely gnarly shit. People taking bumps they had no business taking, looking at you, Will, on that reverse tombstone. Um, and that Michinoku driver. God damn. Uh, it's just also Will giving the sickest hidden blade out of desperation I've seen to this point, and it the sound that it made with the base of Ibushi's head and neck was Here, hideous. Here's, yeah, here's what I say. I want to see him do more of the hidden blades like that rather than doing the long contrived setup that he's been doing up until this point. 
I just think that if you're going to call something like a move like that, if you're going to call it the Hidden Blade, it does need to come out of the depths of nowhere. And that was like the first demonstration of something like that. And I think it works for well much better than the setup one running at the guy kneeling kind of does personally. I thought it was one of the best spots of the entire match, to be honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was just absolutely wild, 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 wild stuff. Um, I, your, your mileage on the head drops may vary. Um, yeah, myself cringing. uh, this, this, it could be, you know, this could be the state of heavyweight wrestling to come in this company going forward. Listen, though, here's my other take on this. If for those of you out there who were very happy to have your bold hot takes on Kota Ibushi versus Tetsuya Naito at Dominion and the, the head drops that they were taking, uh, I hope your energy to complain about the safety of these guys during this match was as equal to the bullshit that I saw on Twitter that particular night. Just throwing it out there. Otherwise, you're all hypocrites. So It, it did make me uncomfortable at, at points, the way one or two of the spots in that Naito match did. Um, mm-hmm. the, the apron German suplex still makes me cringe, especially knowing that, like, Koda temporarily lost vision in one eye. And I'm kind of wondering if part of that is just something that they reported for kayfabe sakes or whether it was an actual real thing. You never know sometimes. Yeah. I just feel that it's one of those situations where you can definitely have those cringe moments where you are uncomfortable with stuff. And I get that. I think we all go through stuff like that, especially as we're watching. But at the end of the day, those guys are the ones in the ring and they're the ones making the call. Um, I just think that it's one of those situations where if you're going to call out stuff like this at least you know do it on the consistent rather than just picking one instance cherry uh cherry picking one instance and kind of just ignoring everything else around you because you like this one person sort of thing that makes any sense i i agree i agree and i would i would say that the uh the the worry that i held privately for abushi in that other match i think it matched here um but a lot a lot of times Mm -hmm. i keep those opinions reserved for select moments on this show (laughs) <laughs> yeah for sure because it's one of those things like if you want discussing discussing it and having a discourse about it is one thing having sort of an educated discourse that doesn't just translate into full-fledged flaming twitter thread wars is a completely different story and we'd rather not have the latter exactly. if anything exactly i'd like to think we're better than that on this show yeah i i like to think so too so this takes us into night six which is the last of the nights we'll cover on leg one of our coverage um next episode of course you'll have 7 through 12 and then you'll have 13 through 18 and the finale to look forward to but uh we start night six with uh what was kind of billed as a student versus student battle chris charlton did a great job of putting this in a historical perspective in that you had the student of tenru and that's shingo versus the, yeah. the disgraced student of Kawada, Tai Chi, here in almost like mm-hmm. a King's Road special. Um, this was definitely better than that Tai Chi Naito match, but that wasn't a big yep, part of clear get... for me. Yeah, because definitely the Naito bit was more so the story of Tai Chi finally getting one over Naito after four tries of just failing uh, miserably, uh, kind of thing. Uh, and again, another essential where. Shingo saw some of the bullshit coming in, had ways of countering it compared to Naito. 
And Corkin was hot for this match. Like, my God, did the noise pick up between them during the final stretch on those last five minutes between them trading, pumping bombers, axe bombers, the kicks, uh, just all the different stuff. Yeah, um, honestly, I, I do like and I hope that your observation is correct. I hope that the story of the G1 is Shingo learning from Naito's mistakes. Because, mm-hmm. boy, when that matchup eventually happens, that could... And, 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 and they've already been shit-talking each other yes. in some of these backstage promos to begin with and, and interviews as well, which I'm like, ooh, the fucking... Yes. <laughs> already pouring some salt in these wounds here, Naito. Now, you are the resident... Damn, you're shitty, bitch. You are the resident LIJ expert around these parts. This is known. And when I was reading the translations of these interviews, I was saving all this up to talk to you at a moment like this. Uh, just yeah. Shingo talking about the days of training with Naito at Animal Hamaguchi's gym and that sparring it with him wasn't so much about learning as Naito just using it as a way to prove the point that he knew more at every turn. Yeah. Uh, again, just that competition between them because that believe they have known each other as far back as high school. So it's it's a relationship between them that has been cultivated for a very, very long time, long before Shingo touched base in New Japan to begin with. So yeah. it's and, and all the credit to you, you um, with how deep your your knowledge is in your history of this group and the way they're assembled and the methodology here, you had Shingo pegged as the next guy well before a lot of people did. I think a lot of it was just between a really strong style story. We're all just a bunch of LIJ stands. Let's not even kid ourselves <laughs> at this point. Jeff, Jeff, myself, Dion Wells, who guest hosts with us every once in a while, Steve Cash, Lawrence LeBron. We, we love that unit very, very much. So we tend to pay attention to this sort of stuff. For me, I remember in particular having back during, uh, Shoot, of course, it's escaping my memory now. But no, King of Pro Wrestling, when the debut did happen, uh, a couple of us had it initially pegged to a couple of uh, Hamaguchi guys for sure. We had Shingo as a possible choice. We had Kai as well as a possibility too. Damn. Dating. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we were mostly going through the Hamaguchi sort of book and trying to figure out, like, it's got to be one of these guys just because of the whole relationship. And then, as it turns out, it is Shingo after all, so. Man, do I have that one circled on the calendar. I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) But uh, So much fun. Shingo puts down Taichi. He's 2-1. and He's got a nice hot start through the first third here. Um, Yep. And then we get uh, Jeff Cobb and Juice Robinson. And this one, this one was solid. You know, and... yeah, this one, this one was a much better outing for Cobb, and I think something that he needed to just kind of show the audiences it's like, yeah, okay, I, I deserve to be here, and this is the kind of stuff that you can expect me to do. And I think Juice was a big help in terms of getting him to that level and escalating the match to the point where it got. Because yeah, the two of them traded some bonds with each other. I was a fan. They sure did. This is this hit that sweet spot for a, a good, maybe not a great G1 match, but a good G1 match. You know, right in that 13, 14 minute range, you had those bombs. You know, somebody gets on the board. In this case, Cobb gets his first points, puts him down with Tour of the Islands. Looked good, did its job, and it was 
You know, it got us ready for the palate cleanser that was next as the Chaos Revenge Tour continues. And <laughs> if you thought Toro Yano versus Tetsuya Naito was funny, oh, this one is goddamn God. hilarious. Mwah, chef's kiss. Jay White versus Toro Yano. Uh, White starts the match by sitting Gato down beyond the rail before he even yep, gets up go. to the ring. It's like, don't worry, I got this. I got this. And, I mean, lures Yano outside, Ghetto distracts him, Switchblade attacks, gets him in, lays the boots in, you know, going and uh, he pulls an Eddie Guerrero with the buckle pad at one point. Uh, White tries to use the cradle on Yano. Huge no-no. And mm-hmm. then blocks low bo- low blow. Uh, the brass knuckles come into play. The best part is uh, Yano gets a hold of them, uses them to give the uh, the shot to the ding ding, and uh, roll them up. And then after he wins the match, stuffs the brass knuckles up the leg of his tights and absconds with them. Sublime master thief in effect. I think the best part of it all is just the shock on Jay White's face once he realizes he just got got. And also Ghetto screaming at him. <laughs> Ghetto screaming at him. Ghetto screaming at Red Shoes. And eventually Ghetto screaming at the English announce table. Why are you motherfuckers that laughing? That was incredible. <laughs> also, the call... Rocky Romero low-key just golf clapping. The call <laughs> of the year from Rocky Romero when he pinned him. That scream, that yes, he did it, scream from Rocky Romero is one of my favorite things in pro wrestling all year. It was so pure. It was so good. I love it so much. Incredible. You know, this, this could be like the best, like, you know, the between entrances, exits in that post-match, this is the best 10 minutes you could spend of your day. Yeah, it was a very fruitful 10 minutes. Toriano moves to 2-1. and one. Jay White, 0-3, which... <laughs> if this is the Chaos Revenge Tour, Chaos did him dirty. God damn. What, but what a great story. It's only, fair for all the bu- it's only fair for all the bullshit he pulled on them over the last year. So it's like, exactly. What? what just, yeah, wow. Yeah huge uh, all around in terms of sort of what it's going to kind of lead to going forward here because you just don't know if this is the downward, downward spiral going to continue here. Does he pick it up at this point and go on a run? Uh, you're kind of setting certain things up for sure uh, for this next leg of the tournament here. Uh, big fan of it. Big, big fan. Yeah, I'm not always a big fan of losing streaks, but this one's so goddamn well done. I am just very mm-hmm. invested in to see where it goes. Um, speaking of Naito and his nemeses, as we did uh, a little bit ago, here's another one of his uh, pretty much over the course yep. of his career, and that's uh, Hiroki Goto, who, again, he mocked with the uh, with the bad Spanish Lando. reading of Lato <laughs> and all the mockery and shit talk. You know, for somebody who started out the tournament one and one going into this, like Naito talked a lot of shit. That's the Tia Naito in a nutshell. You were just shit talk your left and right. He learned 
way too well from Andrade and Rush and La Mascara yeah. during his well, I apologize. short yeah, he, CMLO. He went into this 0-2, so it's even more like, yes, man, 0-2. You, yep. you're really mm-hmm. going there, Pre- buddy. But uh, Pretty much. Another great job on commentary, just talking about the history of these guys and how their matches against each other are barometer of where each one is at. Mm-hmm. And just sort of where where they measure up. Uh, a lot of really inventive counters. I did love uh, kind of the fake out with the corner drop there from Naito for Goto to eventually take one of those and just kick him right in the friggin' ribs when he came springboarding off the ropes. Uh, some some really nifty stuff between them in terms of reversals upon reversals, kind of knowing some of each, of each other's calling cards. Um but again, the biggest thing that I gotta give props for is that sequence where Diyushi Goroshi got turned into that incredibly nasty DDT counter. Oh, like, yes, Goto got spiked outright on that one. Just oh. also, I want to show some love for the knee breaker on the apron, which set up the really the yes. crux of this match. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Because that was so simple and it looked so fucking believable and gross. I thought he snapped his leg for a moment. I'm like, what the? F-? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, definitely some of a very a very Naito move, a very nice touch. I'm wondering if that it if, if that knee is going to be a bugaboo for him through the rest of the tournament here. Wait and see. Approach as uh, as of the timing of this recording, we are about. Four and a half hours away from night eight, technically. Mm-hmm. So it's something that will play out in the second leg when we talk about this. Absolutely. But Naito gets on the board with a pair of Destinos, two points, and he goes to one and two. Um, and then we move to the main event. And I'm going to make a bold declaration about this match. If it's match of the tournament, I completely agree. Not only is it my match of the tournament, but this may... This this is tied, I think, with my match of the year so far. Oh, goodness. That's how highly I think of this match. It's a dead heat between this and Cody versus Dustin for wildly different mm-hmm. reasons for my personal match of the year so far. Fair enough. But this match, this is your main event for night six, Tomohiro Ishii versus John Moxley. Like... Man, I knew I was. We had the, we had this one, yeah. We had this one circled as well, like a lot of us did. But to get what we got, holy fuck, we were not expecting any of this. We thought we knew, we didn't know shit. We didn't know shit. the The face to face at the beginning and the crowd was already going bananas. Mm -hmm. Absolutely wild. Uh, they were just into it from the beginning. I think Mox made up for whatever reaction he did not get on night four. Uh, this was just brawling through the crowd. The crowd didn't know what to do with themselves. Shooter didn't know what to do as he followed them up there, and neither did Big Daddy Red Shoes. Although, one of the best moments of the year, um, at one point, Moxley... Like turning around, giving Red Shoes a big hug, then looking, oh, looking yes. at Shooter, yeah. then looking at Red Shoes, then going back to work, and then, <laughs> then father and son look at each other like, "Wait, what the fuck just happened?" <laughs> that was the best part. Shoulders blank stare, just looking around and trying to process this is. 
Oh, so brilliant. Uh, the East sign seeing its proper action as Moxley banged Ishii's head off of yes. it. Um, <laughs> some really good crowd brawling. And, of course, the spot, Tomohiro Ishii, known stone pit bull of happiness, a man who's delivered classic upon classic upon classic in the G1 climax, climbing up a top rope and body splashing his way into John Moxley through a table is not a sentence I expected to see, hear, or say in the year of our Naito 2019. Um, this is what I like to call the world debut of the Bulldog Splash. Amazing. <laughs> There's nothing else you can call it. Hell, it's the name of the episode is Bulldog Splash. What else could Perfect. it possibly be? Uh just huge stuff i loved everything about this the 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 shit talking the fighting the odes to william regal the odes to the new japan dads just nothing we could say could do this match justice watch it watch it watch it watch it watch it um and and again it's one of those things it says you know 20 and a half minutes but in a weird way, it felt like it went closer to 25, and yet it didn't feel like it was like your 25 minutes sort of dragging on. It just was such at such a pace that it's just like it flew. It flew. Yeah. It was like time. It was it was wild. It was fun. It was you know amazing character work from both guys. Moxley is on an all time tear so far this year since returning to life outside the bubble. Um, I mean, you don't need me to tell you that. It's everywhere. And he just booked a main event with Josh Barnett for September in New Jersey. Do you know somebody already hit me up and reserved the review of that on this podcast for that show? I believe it. I I fully believe it. That happened today. (laughs) So, I mean. Was it Josh? No. Wow, okay. No, it surprising, but good stuff all around. Then when that, whenever that comes out, because I know a couple friends of mine that live over in Staten Island, they've already got their stuff set for that weekend in Atlantic City because they're going to that. And I'm just like, fucking bastards. That show will sell out. That show will yeah, sell out that, if you that, want to. Absolutely, get them out. no doubt whatsoever. So <laughs> this is a good time as any, by the way, to go ahead and pimp our sponsors at gcwmerch.com. Again, that is gcwmerch.com. Ever wanted a Nick Gage t-shirt? Ever wanted a signature from the great Sasuke? Ever wanted an action figure of Onita that uh, is of questionable origin? Go to gcwmerch.com. Again, that's gcwmerch.com, blood and barn wire, not included. So, as we go into... The end run of this, I, I can't believe how fast we covered six nights, and I hope we uh, we yeah. didn't do any injustice to this. But now it's come to the time where we each do our top five of the tournament as it stands at this point. So you being my guest, uh, I am going to let you go first here. Sure. Um, to start with, we have to say, we can't deny Ishii versus Moxley as the number one spot for me personally. And for a lot of people, I think this is their match of the tournament thus far into it. Uh, Number two, I am going to go with another Ishii match. And this one is the one against Jay White. I definitely think up until the Moxley match, it probably would have held on as the early contender for match of the tournament. Just Jay White's best match of his career by far, I think. There's more classics in him with him being as young as he is and still 
learning kind of his way through just you know a year's worth of being a heel kind of in that okada 2012 through like 2014 phase where he needed to kind of get all the big matches that he could just to get that experience to do it i think we're seeing a lot of that with jay uh between last year and this year as well he's going to going to be so much better for it leading into the rest of 2019 so can't wait to see what comes up out of it uh third i am gonna say kenta versus tanahashi just the storytelling between them, the bumps and everything in between, uh, fantastic throughout. Uh, Ibushi versus Osprey as my number four, uh, just better match than the Wrestle Kingdom encounter. Uh, definitely up the intensity from it, uh, even through some crazy reckless bumps. And then as my number five, I am gonna say uh, it's the uh, Tana Okada match from night one. Still just on the it may have not been as good as past G1 encounters, but I think it holds up from an emotional standpoint, especially with the crowd kind of amping it up as much as they did. Yeah, th- this is a tough, tough top five. For yeah, me, it, holy it shit. is tough because, th- yeah, there's a couple of them that I would have been more than happy to include in the four and five spot, but it's kind of a fight uphill between five or six matches for those last two spots there. It's been a re- really solid first leg of the tournament so far. Um, so here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to go from five to one here. Um, you know, yeah. if people are paying attention. They already know what number one is for me. Uh, but uh, we're going to start at five, and I'm going to go with Archer versus Osprey. That's a fair one. That I had that one as a fringe between five and six, personally. Uh, I thought that was incredible here. Uh, I'm also going to go... Man, I'm really torn on this one. Part of me wants to go Osprey, Sonata... But I think I'm going to go Kenta Tana. Fair enough. Like just a bit. Um, yeah, so I, I would say Osprey Sonata falls just a, just a hair's breadth outside my top five. Um, so number three, I'd have Osprey Ibushi. Mm-hmm. And then, so number two... Again, one, if you probably picked up through context clues, I thought ZSJ versus Tanahashi was absolutely superb. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my number one, and maybe my number one match of the entire year to date, Tomohiro Ishii, John Moxley. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's a hell of a list. Uh, I'm going to make an effort to try to put these lists up after the episodes drop. So you kind of get a nice sampling size. I think it's also kind of a nice uh, Rorschach test of, you know, where where your tastes fall as a fan because there are no wrong answers when it comes to being a wrestling fan. You know, it, everybody's got a, got a different vibe. Hell, I saw a take where people said they thought Nick Gage was a better wrestler than Kenny Omega this last week. I mean, the Internet's wild, man. So The Internet is a very wild and strange place for sure. So, yeah, you never know. You never know. And in cases like that, this there are no wrong answers. So we definitely encourage you to uh, tweet at the show, at Jack Heartless on Twitter, or uh, at Brazilian Fury on Twitter. You know, share your your shouts as far as what you think of Nights 1 through 6. And uh, believe me, there's plenty more wrestling to cover. So we'll be getting ready for 7 through 12 before you know it. Um in that spirit, let's go ahead and take them home. Tell them where else they can find you on social media. 
Well, uh, mainly just Twitter and Instagram. That's at Brazilian Fury, Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. Uh, mostly just your usual grabs and live takes. All there altogether. You can find me also in our podcast at Strong Style Story. Uh, Strong Style Story on Twitter without the E in style. StrongStyleStory.tumblr.com for the blog. Jeff uh, finally got most of his stuff moved out from Indianapolis to Chicago. He's still finishing up with the move, but the blog has been uh, gradually coming back. Uh, he's been catching up on the G1 himself on his end of the spectrum. Uh, you can also go uh, check out Strong Style Story, the podcast portion, over at uh, the Pro Wrestling Only feed, which has plethora of different podcasts for all tastes, shapes, sizes. Uh, I'm going to shout them out here, too, just because I love them so much uh, within our network. A uh, podcast called Days of Thundering, which two Irish guys decided to kind of bring us a podcast about WCW Thunder that nobody asked for, but that they did anyway, <laughs> where they just watched episodes of WCW Thunder and the pay-per-views without any other context, and just, my God. They, they have no idea what they've got themselves into, and I'm just living for the absolute comedy and just amount of drinking that I'll probably drive them into at this point. <laughs> because latter WCW, once you get past, like, 98, boy, oh, boy. Especially Thunder. So Yeah, so um, that's incredible. I didn't know that existed until just now, and I'm actually really excited to check that out. Holy shit, that's amazing. Yep, check, yep. Check him out. It's just top-notch banter throughout. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much that for me in terms of the plugs uh, on my side of the fence that I can think of for now. And as for me, uh, you can check out more of my stuff. Uh, I'll be hitting the road again, you know, doing more work with uh, our good friends over at Lapel. Yeah, Uh, you can find us all over the greater Los Angeles area working in and around the independent wrestling scene. Uh, we'll be working with GCW uh, when they come back to town on August 9th for uh, Escape from L.A. There's some great stuff on there. Uh, very excited about Chris Dickinson versus Chris Statlander personally. Um, That's going to be fun for sure. Yeah. Looks like a very solid card from the looks of it. There's so. going to be some wild shit on there. Jungle Boy versus Jimmy Lloyd looks pretty great too. Uh, your main event is... Uh, is good guy uh actual good guy jimmy havoc wrestling the king nick gage for the gcw world title so 2019 folks yeah what a time what a time i will be bringing my face mask so i don't inhale light tube dust again uh yeah i'll be ready so, and then, of course, if you're going to be in the Chicagoland area for All Out, uh, the squad is rolling out heavy for both StarCast 3 and All Out. Catch me there, wave me down, say hello. Uh, with any luck, I'll be wearing one of those sweet, sweet Alley Cat uh, white paw tie-dyed tank tops that weekend. So, we'll see how it goes. But, in the meantime... Thank you so much, as always, for listening to this episode. We are continuing the march to 100 episodes. Can you believe I've done nearly 100 episodes of this shit at this point? I I can't. (laughs) It's crazy. I mean, we just hit 50 fairly recently on Strong Style, and we were fucking surprised about that as any. So, yeah. Once you hit hitting those Mitch marks, it's just like, wow, did, did we really get this far? Are you 
okay then. Let's just keep going, I guess. But yeah, incredibly grateful. This is episode 93. You know, we'll we'll be past 95 by the time the G1 climax ends, which is wild to say. But uh, thank you very much, as always, for listening, and keep sailing. Oh,